everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode on Talks with Raj. Today, uh, we have a very, very important, super busy um, uh, guest with us who made the time for us to join today. Uh, I would like to introduce uh, Namrata, uh, all the way from Dubai, who's going to be giving us a bit of insight on the global education. Um, specifically, uh, we wanted to understand how we are preparing our future leaders. Uh, Namrata, all yours. Hi, Raj. Thanks for having me. Um, wonderful to be here. A uh, little strange to have a conversation with you like this, but um, uh, cool. So my name is Namrata. I am the Dean of a Global Business School, Holt International Business School. Um, I run the Dubai campus. Um, we are a school that's in four different cities. Um, so I get to work with you know, a very global bunch of humans every day. Um, I'm a, I am a believer in higher education um, and I love being an educator. Um, and I, I'm very glad I switched careers to become an educator. I don't know how much more you want me to say, but that's uh, a lot of it for it. No, no, I think that's, that's a very good start. So a lot of education was dropped in on that. But, but thanks again for making the time, Roto. Uh What we want to understand to start off right, um, is to understand the changing landscape of education. So in your point, because you've been on this, um, in this context for a very long time, you've seen the, um, the dynamic shift of the industry. So just to start off, how would you discuss the, the nature of the education landscapes changing in a global context? And how does technology and globalization helps in that, in that, in that case? Um, I think whenever I think about education in general and how it's changing, it uh, for me, a big thing is access, right? So technology, um, I think we were forced into a technological wave with the pandemic. Um, and a beautiful thing that came out of that was access. So now a lot more people, a lot more institutions that never thought to be online because there were certain, um, I guess there were certain connotations of being associated with being online teaching right but that changed because we had to we had to pivot and so a lot more people got access a little bit more easier to um very 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 many more um institutions and i think as educators it brings about a question of quality because the assumption that just because it's online the quality is not going to be appropriate i think that's very dependent on the institution. And so um, access is a big thing that comes to mind when I think about the changing landscape. Um, obviously, globally, then, we, have, we can access people from more parts of the world without the stress of them having to move or travel or, you know, come and be in person. Um, I do believe that we should still find a way to hold on to some parts of that in-person experience. Um, it is very important. I think we shouldn't move completely away from it. However, institutions have to recognize the value that all of this access brings to their to their schools. Um, being global for schools, um, I think it's it's a checkbox a lot of schools like to fill. But the idea of truly being global is is different, right? So it's not just that you bring students from everywhere, but it is the content that you then provide those students. So are they getting global contexts in classrooms? That is very, very important because I think the minute we say globalization, people are like, yeah, we have we have students from everywhere. Um, but if, for example, all of your case studies, all of your examples are very, say, U.S. centric, are we being very global? Or if they're if you're in Dubai, are they only talking about the Middle East? Why aren't we talking about it, about the Middle East in context to 
XYZ, any other part of the world. I think that's what makes a space really global. Um, and the assumption would be what makes it global is we're connecting people from all over the world, but I think it's content um, and how we are able to relay everyday things to different parts of the world. And then that completely changes the context of what we're discussing. Well, I, think, I think you touched upon a lot of interesting topics that which I think you will circle back to at the end. Like if I were to um, dimensionalize some of them you mentioned, number one, the word access is something I really love, how you framed it. Because I'm thinking access in the form of equality, because everyone has a, a basically a seat at the table right now because of technology allowing you to have that um, opportunity to try out. And I think the whole, uh, one of my favorite things that you just mentioned was the fact that there was a lot of, um, I would say, different views on in-person education versus mm. online education for a very long time. And after 2019, that, that stigma just went away very, very different. And it's good yeah. that we are, we are being very critical about everything and having an open mind to take it, but also having the balance of check right to your point. We need to have an online version, that's fine. But there's a lot of things we need to encompass so the quality is still maintained. They're getting what they need. Um, just to sidetrack a bit, right? You mentioned about um, global education, and also the most important thing is everyone can say that hey, we have students from across the world. But the actual global global field is the the environment that you provide, the ecosystem you're providing. So, what are the key challenges that you see global education has in providing that kind of environment or ecosystem? It's an interesting question. I think um, a challenge really is um, how much we challenge. So um, bear with me, but this might, uh, <laughs> if this makes sense. But I think that having conversations that are global will involve a lot of polarizing views sometimes. They will involve... Um, some topics that some people have never spoken about because they're uncomfortable, it's a taboo in some parts of the world, and then you come somewhere else and now everyone's talking about it. So we have to find a way to talk about it. Um, that is a challenge, like to break out of a comfort that you have, um, to truly be critical, but not in the lens of one's better than the other, but just to critically assess you know, everything we're hearing, um, I think that is a challenge. So when we talk about being global, getting students from all over the world to one space is hard enough, but right. getting them to then truly inter intermix and be global is a second challenge because we tend to, when we're in a new place, you're like, who looks like me? Who thinks like me? I'm just going to go and be there because it's safe. Right. Um, so getting folks to say it's okay if you've, you know, you've never encountered a person from Malaysia and now you're going to have a conversation with them and you're going to understand the nuances of what it means to be Malaysian, what it means to be Indian. You're going to talk about a lot. Right. A lot of it won't, you won't see eye to eye, but there, there seems to be discomfort these days with agreeing to disagree. You're either with us or you're against us, right? It's very polarizing. So I think um, breaking students out of that comfort mold of it's okay to agree to disagree. You can still like someone and disagree with them. And, you know, that kind yeah. of finding a middle ground to have conversation. I think that's definitely a challenge. And it's not just a new challenge. I think it's um, it's been there for a really long time. 
Um, having said that, I think what forms a new challenge is right now we are able to make a lot more assumptions that we believe are informed assumptions because we have access to information very easily. Right. But a lot of the time that information is not vetted. So we make an assumption. We think it's a very informed assumption. So it's the right assumption. And so that's an added layer to comfort and discomfort in this global context, if that makes sense. I think that's a very strong, I mean, that's a very, very good point you raised, Mamata, because if you think about it, right, you can provide the platform, you can provide the, the what do you call that, the, um, the way for them to connect. But at the end of the line, you also need to, in a way, foster, maybe it's my, my choice of what is wrong here, but you want to like at least push them or nudge them in a direction to have such a because they will come, the chance of them being in an environment that is global but not accessing it the mm. way we should be is also happening. I think that's going to be like, as you said, in a, in a way, the, we need to bring them up. We need to walk with them slowly, show them what is right and, and what you want to make the best out of it. Because the next topic that I wanted to discuss with you was how does this, in your point of view, you've, been, you've seen a lot of students, you've seen the landscape evolving. How do you think global exposure really, really justifies for students? Like, what are they getting out of it? How does that prepare them? It's a, it's, it's, I mean, everyone knows the answer to it, but I want to hear from your side. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's, look, it's very easy to say, oh, it allows somebody to truly understand the other side, right? Like it's, it allows for someone to having, and I, and I believe that I think when you have a, you've made up your mind about something without even experiencing it, um, that's not very smart. So when you have this global exposure, you are making more informed opinions. Having said that, I also believe human beings, um, might seek out to confirm what they already believe. So if you go into interactions, um, whether it's in classrooms or out in the hallways or whatever, if you go into interactions with your mind made up about a person, is it actually changing? So I think um, it's a it's a it's a difficult one to assess the I believe the success of because it is very personal. Do you know what I mean? Just pushing someone to say go travel, um, and you will learn so much about the world but different people travel different ways, right? Yeah. So they might only ever go to every tourist spot and live in very comfortable spaces and experience luxury and customer service and leave thinking, hey, that's that's what that country is about and that's not true. It's too nuanced. And I think we can't measure, we can't say that just because you're in a classroom with people from all over the world, you're going to leave a more global citizen. What we have to say is, you have the opportunity to leave a more global citizen. So you need to engage in some conversations, some that might make you a little uncomfortable, some that might challenge you and push you, but that's what you're here for. Because you have to you have to find a way to, control is not the right word, but we have to find a way to uh, stage slightly more authentic, which is weird because I'm saying stage and authentic, but allow for more authentic interaction to happen Um because if you're not even if you're not going in with the intent to I need to change my mind about something, it versus I want to confirm what I believe, that just that one little thing doesn't really shift anything in a right. person. Yeah, I think I would say being intentional about what you're gonna do. Yeah, really will change the perspective. Because even if you take from the opinion side, but let's look from building yourself up for a, for a couple, uh, out of school success, right? It could be corporate, it could be an NGO, it could be public, private, doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. But 
what globalization really does in a, in a global sector education i feel it's gonna put you in places where you've not usually been with people that you're not usually connected with because then you realize when you come out of it you know the knowledge but now you have this exposure and then mm. you go to a the actual working side you're gonna meet different people and i think mm-hmm. one way i would i mean let me know the one way i would always like to praise global education is that it allows you to be non-biased it allows you to give respect everyone's opinion and try to see there's a positiveness there's an opportunity to learn from each and every one and then let's make an informed decision for them rather than jumping the gun early. at least that's how what you feel it it does it does allow for it um and we have to be like you said intentional and mindful yes. because it can also confirm so right. i think that we th- that's the line that sometimes um we have to draw to say right. did i even go into that interaction wanting to have my mind changed about something or someone or a culture or a person um or did i just want to confirm what i believe so i think that yes okay. 90% people go out with the intention to change and to have their mind changed and there's also room for the others the other side of it um don't get me wrong it's brilliant and it's important and i think the the key like you said is intentionality we have to be right. intentional intentional is is i think is a good way to um end on that um just switching gears um remember the one other thing that i wanted to check with um i know we've been talking about pandemic i know this is um um technology has been as massively um changed the landscape and the zoom and xs and all that there was a more need for technology than ever right now. One other thing that I want to ask, aside from the one that we know, how do you evaluate or how you are understanding what we want to share innovative method that I've shown uh, across from, from last time to now, how things have been changing in the innovation side for education? So, um, look, when I think of the word innovation to begin with, um, everyone automatically makes an assumption about it being about the tech. Right. But it's not. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, innovation then comes if we are using technology now, like if when we started to use Zoom, the innovation was not as much we were using Zoom, but the innovation comes on the human end. How are right. we having human interaction through a screen when there's one faculty and 70 students in these mm-hmm. little squares? So, the actual brilliant innovation was the human one on the faculty end to make it engaging. the creativity there that was the innovation how do you keep people engaged through a computer screen for 3 4 5 6 7 8 hours a day right depending on the style yeah. of teaching when we just switched um it was the summer of it was march that we had to move online but then in the summer we were running our elective courses and a lot of them are weekend courses and right. these are long these are from like 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. every day or 9 p.m. there's breaks and it was phenomenal to see the innovation that happened on the faculty end which is still very much the human end um and i want to reiterate that the assumptions always oh there was some technological innovation it's not the case we used technology and that was that was the i guess um the the need of the hour um and it was it was a catalyst but the actual innovation was the human one um so that's one thing i want to point out but i think that going forward with the direction that we're going in um you you can't have any conversation this these days about 
uh, higher education without the advent of AI, right, in yeah, right. the space. So students, uh, how they use it. I think we we yeah. very well. We, we lasted 16 minutes without AI coming into the country. We, exactly. We lasted 20. Um, and and look, I think the way forward again is a very human one, which I, th I don't know if a lot of people agree or disagree, but I think we still need at the stage that AI is at now, which um, has the ability to allow for us in the workplaces to be more efficient. So we use efficiency, like we use it as an efficiency building tool. It shouldn't replace the human aspect. So re, as, as an educator, we have to reinforce the importance of the human voice in the work we do. So with students, of course, it becomes very easy to say, oh, I'm late. I'm just going to I'm just going to uh, use AI and create a paper. Um, but there are several case, like at the end of the day, the AI is fed by humans and humans have agendas. And so some of those agendas might be very apparent when you use AI versus doing research and reading different sides and coming to a conclusion, right? So I think that this notion that AI is infinite in knowledge, we make it infinite. The source itself is not. So um, how we use it, however, is the innovation. So it doesn't help for us to tell our students to run away from it because that's the direction we're going in. We teach students to use it ethically, we, we teach students to use it efficiently. Um, and in that process is where we're being innovative. So how we create our assessments so that they're kind of AI proof and how we uh, use AI in the classroom to show a um, like a good use of or an effective use of AI. That's all very important. We don't run away from the technology. We embrace it. Right. But at the same time, I, I think we, we also have to remember that all the more so the human piece is even more important today than it maybe was a little while ago. So um, the innovation that needs to come up now, because the, the technology thing is just going to keep rising, right? right. It's just going to keep happening. It's going to happen. And the innovation there is going to happen. Humans have to get innovative as well on the human end. And how do we still allow for this to remain a human experience? Because that's what education is. It's It, it, it can be of you looking at a screen, you talking, uh, look, learning from a YouTube video. But at the end of the day, there's some human creativity innovation that went behind creating that content. Um, so that's where I think we are and we should be um, with uh, tech and all things AI. You know, I just want to say I love how you said innovation is not tech, Raj. I think I want to recall that uh, because technology, um, people shouldn't focus on technology, people should focus on the experience. That's how... Uh, how I usually run what, what my classes or even how I frame my thoughts because I feel that the human-centric is the key part of the education process. So if anything, Zoom or anything is so just a tool to aid that process. And that's why exactly what you elaborated, right? I do want to touch upon one point, Namrata, uh, that was very critical. You mentioned about um, assessment and AI proof and all that, which is an ongoing challenge. But I think it also gives us a challenge for educators to see how are we basically assessing our, our students in the first place, right? Because mm. the, thought of, the thought of getting an A or getting a B is actually very different because what we're trying to say is that the, the, the formula that I always tell to the students is that we teach A in class two. That's called the A first component. And then the second component, which is B, that's what you know on your own. And mm. what you want to produce in your assignment or in your presentation, in deliverable, is a C, which is the third point. Combine these two and produce something new. That's, that's the us. So the way I wireframe AI, AI allows you to 
collect data. It gives you access to data quickly if you want, but then you need to make sense. You need to form the synergy. It's not even ask them because if anything last time you'll take 10, 15 minutes to do a research, you can do it quickly right now with generative AI. Now you have access to the data, you know the class of one, you know your own experience and exposure, your conversation before. How do you want to put this together and come out with something new? I know it's always going on a doctoral PhD research kind of thing, but I think that's yeah. how I always think. But, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. Agree if you think it's a good way to think or is another way to go about it. So when you're so just to rephrase, so when we're talking about assessment and assessing and the use of okay, um, look, it, it is. I, I'm not never going to be that person who's going to say, oh, it's just we have to get create. No, it's very difficult because um, you have to. I think a big part of being an educator is, and it's very difficult, right? So especially as a millennial educator. Right. Working now with a lot of Gen Z students, right. I'm now experiencing what I've heard grandparents and parents say, oh, your generation, your generation. And I feel like I don't want to belittle any kind of group of people um, about their learning styles. And we cannot have this conversation without recognizing that the learning styles are shifting. So it is getting harder to reason to say, to with the student to say, hey, no, do the research the old way. Like, look at look things up. Make sure that you're understanding the author. Are they a vetted author? You know, your research um, kind of represents who you are and the people you choose to read. And it's getting harder to have that conversation because students are receiving information in thirty seconds, one minute bites um, on various, very many platforms. Information is accessible by a click um, and it's not the fault then because this is how information is making it to them for with the assumption that it's fact it's 100% fact the way people talk on social media yeah. or um or on these or or on anything that's 30 seconds um the need now to provide information in 30 second or minute bites you cannot provide context to very complex things right. in 30 seconds or a minute and the assumption now with a lot of consumers of that content is they have the whole picture without that context. So it is very difficult to like kind of impart the piece like effectively to say you have to, it needs to be, your research needs to be longer than a minute or three minutes or five minutes. It sometimes takes hours and hours and hours to read different things. Um, and then why wouldn't you just say, hey, I'm just going to ask ChatGPT the question and it's going to give me an answer. And that's my first draft. Like, how do you even say, oh, but that don't do that because it's easier. And when you're a student, you want the easy way out. There are some students who are here to be like, I want the difficult way. I'm going to learn the hard way. Right. That's let, let's be honest. You and I were students. It's, it's whatever's easier. Right. Um, at that stage, when you're when you're younger, um, it is a hard one to, so our assessments, which brings me then back to your question of the innovation in assessments, allow them to use AI. Say, hey, use AI. So write a response written by AI, write a response that you've done other research by, compare it and critique what the AI is saying. Do you agree with what AI is saying or right. do you disagree and why? Get them to understand that it's a great starting point. I feel like this AI, these uh, generative AI beasts 
are what Wikipedia was in our time, right? People yeah, go to Wikipedia and they're like, this is it. And I'm like, it should be a starting point. It's a wonderful starting yeah, point. That, that, that's how I that literally is the, to me in my brain. I'm like, it's the same thing. You can't just go to Wikipedia and be like, no, I know everything about something, right? You have to dig further. And I think the problem is we're stopping at Wikipedia and we're like, now we know everything. Um, so I think the way we assess asking the tough questions of what are your sources, where are they coming from? And if the sources are coming from um, these generative AI tools, sometimes they're not accurate. So it's very easy to catch that a student hasn't done the work or they've done the work, right? So um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky, I think we're still in the in the middle of it. Like it's, right. it's new, it's very nascent. So we're all still learning. I don't think anyone has the answers. I definitely don't have the answers. Um, but I think with each year, the more we the more we don't fight it and the more we implement it and we learn from, hey, this went well, this did not go well, yeah. um, that's how we'll know how to beat it, I guess. No, I think two points. The first one, I think this is our version of Wikipedia is what we're saying right now. Why instructors back in the day said, don't use Wikipedia. But I still remember um, there was one instructor back, I know I'm going like very old school memory lane, but there was one instructor that actually taught us how to use Wikipedia. He basically mm -hmm. say, don't read Wikipedia. Go to the bottom. There's references. Exactly. And then you find the sources out of there. Like, yeah. That changed the perspective because it was like, no one was against it. He was accepting it. It was like, that. someone done the research for you. Go and read all the articles that is in one place. Then make your own hypothesis or make your own, own um, thoughts on it. I was like, that, that changed how you perceive. And I think to your point, you just mentioned like how... Make a response from Gen AI, make your own response, critique it. So I think you're, you're giving them the opportunity to learn, all right, what I need to, what is the good of this, what is not so good of this. So I know how to make mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that it's just the scary part is the fact that we have to agree with what that response is the minute you type in a question and this AI spits out an answer, you're like, that's the answer. It's not. We have to critique that even, right? So that is the part. If you're going to scarily just agree with uh, an AI tool, that's a little, that's that's what gives it the power. Do you know what I mean? Right. Then Skynet is, we're, we're bound to have Skynet. So I think we just need to, we need to be a little careful. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to quickly plug what Dr. Taran said about AI. This, the fantasy and reality is so crazy. That's what he mentioned. Like, we, we need to really differentiate what's a fantasy, what's a reality, because right now yeah. there are going around when it comes to AI. It's yeah. Crazy. I think remember that the last uh, way to want to talk to you as we end our call today is let's talk about leadership development. Right? How do you envision global education preparing uh, uh, students to have leadership advantage? Where do you see the, the opportunity? What has been, what have you seen overall change in, in the impact? Um, so, so just to make sure I understand the question, like how do we enable students to be more like yes. equipped leaders? Yes. Um, Leaders, leadership is a tricky one. Um, it is a tricky one because I think everyone assumes it's the easy one, right? So as a school, actually, we provide, um, we actually have a leadership track through our programs. So okay. with our MBAs, our Master of International Business, they're doing um, three to four different courses on leadership and different aspects of it. Yeah. What we find sometimes is that people are like, oh, this is the easy A class because it's easy. It's just it's leadership. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it's the hardest one because what I've learned from my personal leadership journey 
is a leader's only as good as the people around them. And you will come across as an amazing leader. And when your team's present, they listen, they take the feedback, they're high performing, they're, you know, they're, you're able to create synergy and you're able to create an environment and everyone's like, you're such a wonderful leader. And I'm like, is it me though? Or is it me? Or is it the fact that you have some amazing people around you? Um, And it sounds like a cop-out. What I'm saying sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. Like, I genuinely mean this. I think I've learned from seeing amazing forms of leadership before me and not amazing forms. And that's the one piece is that you make an assumption that buildings will fall if you're not there. And it's not true. You're not holding anything up. You're kind of there as the safety net for amazing people who are actually doing the work and holding things up. And I think that teaching that is very difficult because people want to see themselves in the best light. And so when they're learning about all of this with leadership and different styles of leadership, and um, they make the assumption they are, they are a leader. They know this. Um, And believe it or not, a lot more with the older our students are, the more, the more they're like, Oh, leadership. It's, it is just leadership. Right. Um, And I think, we have to, with students, allow for them to experience. So remind them of the opportunities where they can on in a safe space like a campus, whether it's within a team, maybe we take turns being the leader, whether it's in a club, you go ahead and, and right. lead a club or you become the student you know, representative. And those experiences of leadership, um, I think, are are ways to learn safely for very younger people what to do and not to do um even even us like at our at an, at an age where we've maybe led teams and and done all of that we uh, it is it becomes very easy to have an ego and make the assumption that we are <laughs> infallible brilliant minds when the truth is we're surrounded by brilliant minds. So teaching that I believe is one of the most difficult things because it's so intrinsically being a good leader, so intrinsically linked with other humans who are the most unpredictable kind of machines there are. Right. So it's, there isn't a a one size fits all. So if you think about it, the breadth and width of what you have to teach is quite wide. Um, and, how much people absorb, it's hard to gauge. And having said that, sometimes we don't need them to absorb when they're in this room. The hope is that you're planting a seed and they're going to, it, something's going to come to their mind when, when something happens in the future and be like, hey, I was doing this one simulation in grad school and I remember doing this and somebody said, because I always say to students when at immersion, when we run a simulation and a lot of it is about how we act when the leaders around power, use of voice, all of that. And I always say, when we do simulations in a classroom in an experiential style, some students are like, oh, I'm in this, I'm in it, I'm going to take it seriously. And some are like, it's a game, it's silly, I'm just going to do what I need to do and leave. Um, And I always say, whatever we are doing in the classroom, however we are reacting, how competitively, how how nonchalant, how that's exactly how we behave in real life whether you believe it or not. And so that is why these experiential kind of education or simulative experiences are so important. Um, 
and we can just do these things and plant the seeds because I think the width and length of leadership is just too wide and too deep to ever cover in a year or two in, in, a, in a graduate program. But the hope is that that knowledge then when partnered with experiences that they have, good, bad, failing, achieving, whatever, will kind of shape the leader. Um, it's, it's a very subjective, I think to say it's a good leader is the most subjective thing um, because in any given week, you are four different kinds of leaders depending on the need, right? So I think that it's, it, it, is, it is the most subjective thing. And um, hopefully, because we, we do make it such a big part of our programs, at least, and I hope a lot of schools do, um, the importance of it is embedded enough that the, the seeds are planted. I think the biggest takeaway I had from what you just uh, elaborated detail was it's not something, it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of teaching and practicality. Mm. The environment will give you their theory, but also who you are as a person will kind of make a big chunk of how, what kind of leader you are. And you also need to go through the experience. You have mm-hmm. to be in the situation. So when you are facing a red wall in that situation after you graduate, some of the learnings you learn or the, practice, or the framework, anything that will allow you to have clarity and addressing the challenge. Because I feel in my, in my overall career of 10 years, right? I you keep changing yourself and you're learning back. And then when you turn back, you're like, oh, was, that was a bad move, bro. It's like, you know what, this, I was not done it. What's wrong with me? And then you keep reassessing. You want, and I know there's two types of people. And the one would be like, I've got it. I figured it out. And yeah. then we are the one that turns back. Why did we make that call? Like, you know, that's so bad of us. Okay, let's, let's get better. Let's, because it's always improving. And we are worried of what kind of leader we are. That's for me, it's a good practice. That I'm continuously, yeah. right, okay. Things are changing. I need to know. It's not just winging it every time. The last question I have before we wrap our episode is, what is your uh, perspective? What kind of quality that defines a global? I'm, I, I'm guessing inter- intentional would be one of it, but like anything other than that. You said de- that defines a good leader? Oh, my word. Um, look, I'm one of those who... Um, I genuinely think that there has to be... Hmm, one good quality or you said what are the qualities okay so i believe empathy is a big one right so i genuinely believe empathy and i know maybe a lot of people don't um agree um because especially as you're climbing through the ranks uh you have experienced very many things the minute you're on the chair when you're the head honcho it becomes very easy to forget those experiences. And I actually had one the other day where I had some members of my team um, talking about a difficult time in the cycle of higher education, like in, of this academic year and the burnout. And I was being very insistent on, but what is the problem? What is it? You know, I was being a little aggressive as being insistent because I'm like, it's a busy time. We know this. What is the question? What is right. the ask? Versus what I, in hindsight, the, the guilt that set in was, they're tired and it becomes very easy for me to now forget what I was doing even two years ago, which right. was exhausting because you do forget we're also human. Right. So yeah. I believe that you have to listen. Um, listening is very important. I think sometimes, like I said, egos come into play and we think we're there to solve everything. Nobody's even asking a question. You're like, let me solve your problem. That's not what you're there for. You're there to listen if the question's being asked, then we look to solve. Empathy plays 
such a big part in being a good leader because I think it becomes very easy to forget. Um, and I think uh, leaders should challenge, find things that challenge them so that they're humbled, so yeah. that we don't fall for the the I know everything, I'm everything, I look at my title nonsense that comes with, you know, leadership sometimes, the, the like I said, the ego and the pride. We need humbling moments. You need, right. um, you know, sometimes when you're in a classroom, especially if you're an educator, so if you are an educational administrator, um, try and spend some time in a classroom. That's so humbling because sometimes students are very difficult and you leave going like, was I impactful? Sometimes they say such brilliant, wise things and you don't expect it from them and you've learned something. Right. Um, sometimes that experience will check your assumptions at the door, gonna, you know? Yeah. So you have to find experiences that humble you because it is so easy to get wrapped up in your own, I was going to say a bad word, but in your own stuff, you know, and be like, I am... I am amazing and everyone's like, you know, and, and half the time, the other thing actually is being a little prudent because everyone around you is going to say wonderful things about you all the time to your face and, and all of that like kind of props you up. Um, and you need to be, you need to be humble and you need to be empathetic. And um, you also need to find a way to display tough love, but that can be done respectfully. Right. You never need to, be yelling at anyone in public and you never need to do any of that but that that friendly but firm sweet spots very yeah. difficult um so i think those I, I i spoke a lot but those are the few things that i would say important for no, leader. That's, a, that's a great way to end it because if i were to have one summarizing way i think i'll just say it's just a keep thinking keep working on it that could be many mm. because everything you totally resonate in like okay i'm checking Am I empathy? I'm checking. I'm mm. not the boss of everything. I'm checking a reality check. So there's like, you're always working on something. You're always thinking because you, you know for a fact that it's not end of it. I think that if once you have that continuous journey of growth mindset, I think that's one biggest take takeaway I uh, think I'll take from this talk. And once again, Amrata, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been a very good, uh, interesting conversation. I hope our listeners thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah. Amazing. Listen to Talks with Raj. <laughs>